Parents Show, sponsored by Raiden Solicitors, award-winning specialist family lawyers. See RaidenSolicitors.co.uk. Welcome to The Parents Show on 92.6 FM Radio Verulam. This week, as a newly appointed head of a prestigious independent school, within weeks, Catherine Gorman found herself tackling the biggest educational challenge in her career, handling the fallout from the COVID-19 lockdown. She found herself forced into shutting the school down and deploying a generation's worth of change to the technology and curriculum in just a few days. She and her team had to draw on all their educational experience to keep staff, pupils and parents together in these most difficult of times. Experience drawn from teaching in a range of schools, both in the UK and the Far East. She joined us here at Radio Verulam to tell us the story of her tenure as head at Abbots Hill Independent School for Girls. Let's hear what she had to say to Radio Verulam's presenter, Steve Simpson. Abbots Hill School is an independent school for girls situated in Hertfordshire, somewhere between St Albans and Hemel Hempstead, a short hop from the M25 in fact. It offers an all-round education for girls aged 4 to 16 years and is highly respected for its academic achievement and its pastoral care. The school has recently been rated by the ISI as excellent, uh, which is a great achievement, and the head who's overseen the school for the last 11 months has been Catherine Gorman, who joins us on Radio Verulam this evening. Good evening and welcome to Radio Verulam, Catherine. Good evening, Steve. Thank you very much for having me. So how has the first year been? Anything interesting going on at the school? (laughs) So, uh, yes, it has been quite a year. As you say, I joined in January this year and uh, six days after I started, we had the full ISI inspection um, across the entire school, nursery prep and senior And then, of course, it was only a matter of weeks later that I found myself oddly closing the doors due to lockdown. So, yeah, it has been has been quite the 11 months. It's been an eventful time for you. And congratulations on that ISI rating. They don't come easy, do they? You must be pleased with it. Thank you. Yes, we are absolutely delighted. Everybody at the school, pupil, staff and, of course, the parents uh, were delighted. And it was a really wonderful way to start the year. Abbott's is a school with an incredibly compelling heritage um, and the young women who we educate in the school benefit from and live out its founding values. I find it quite a unique school and, and one which is, is really you know well positioned to prepare its pupils for the, for the world in which we live. And I think the excellent ISI rating we received in January validated the school's approach. The values that, that we um, hold dear, such as creativity and collaboration and compassion, were recognised and it gave me a really clear mandate to celebrate and, and share outwardly those qualities um, and the, the calibre of its staff and, and the pupils who, who attend. It also actually gave the school the confidence to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic in outstanding style. We're not complacent and we won't stand still. I really don't think a school can in such a competitive market, but we're confident in what we do and and we know that we do do it well. I would like more people to see that and get to know Abbots Hill in all sorts of ways, whether out in the community, through our outreach and partnership work, via shared professional development in our post-16 and careers programme and as pupils and staff. So we we did say in the introduction that you're renowned for your academic achievement and the pastoral care. So tell us a little bit about a little bit more about the school in that respect. What what is it you aim to achieve for your girls? So excellent academic results absolutely matter to us, but they are not the be all and end all. We are very proud of our results and, and I, I will be unapologetic about that. And actually this summer, and despite all the uncertainty around the GCSE grades, over 90% of pupils at Abbots Hill secured their first choice sixth form destination. We had just shy of 60% of grades awarded at level seven to nine. There were some outstanding individual success stories, not just at the top end of the academic 
performance, but, you know, girls for whom all sorts of challenges had cropped up along their journey and, and yet they managed to absolutely perform to the very best of their abilities. But 36% of, of our cohort achieved a level seven um, or above in eight or more subjects. And actually a fifth achieved seven to nines in all their GCSE subjects. And we had a, a, a small number who achieved level nines in 10 GCSEs. So there, there were some really remarkable achievements of which we're very proud. Notable successes in humanities. We had 91% seven to nine in geography and all pupils achieved a, a seven to nine grade in chemistry. And I think all of this is made even more remarkable because we don't select on academic potential at 11 plus. Our intake is inclusive and proudly so. And so Abbots Hill is therefore a school where pupils are truly enabled and challenged to make the most of the talents that lie within them. And just as importantly, the opportunities available to them at the school. We do understand that the best possible academic grades are critical for life choices. Um, but I think it is those those wider opportunities which are, are really, really important as well. Well, like you said, the the academic achievement is is an important part of uh, an, uh, the school education system, but it's it's not everything. And I just want to take you to your your website. I, despite how it appears, sometimes we do actually do research on this show, <laughs> and I I uh, I was looking at, at your introduction on your website, and you used that opportunity not to talk about yourself, but to talk about the the vivid and compelling picture of the characteristics of the girls. Uh, who leave Abbots Hill to uh, an aspiration perhaps that any parent would want for their daughters. And it was a, a very compelling description of the sort of all-round education that you want to provide for the girls at your school. How do you go about doing that outside of the academic boundaries? So I think that girls' schools uh champion, I can say something really obvious here, girls' schools champion the educational needs of girls. And, and in some ways, it is that simple. At Abbott's, this means creating classroom environments, but also co-curricular opportunities, sporting service opportunities that allow girls to be themselves and to express themselves freely and frequently in, in whatever way, shape or form they desire. We, we create and celebrate a culture of achievement. We are ambitious for everybody in our school. And my conversations with the girls show how proud they are of each other. I think women in the workplace lift each other up. I think that is something unique to the way that women operate in uh, in life. And I think that uh, mutual celebration starts at school. Girls, of course, occupy every role in the school. They have unfettered access to leadership roles and opportunities, whether that's the, the male lead in a play, a tech competition, young enterprise sports captain or, or leading clubs for our prep school children or volunteering as part of their Duke Federal Award in the nursery. And they do all of this before they're 16. And I think that's too easily forgotten because we don't have a sixth form unusually. Um, so many of the things that I've just described in, in some schools the kinds of opportunities that, that girls will wait until they're in year 12 and year 13 for. And at Abbots Hill, they start from the get-go. And um, and they uh, certainly, if you visited our year six, they are, and I kid you not, practically running the school in the best possible way. So I think Abbots Hill, therefore... Hence why you have time to talk to me on the radio. They're, they're doing all the work <laughs> in the background. Exactly so. <laughs> if only that were true. It was, it was um, interesting what you said there about uh, women in the workplace and the characteristics which they exhibit. And, and you feel that that is something which you need to nurture in, in a, a school. Do you think that is peculiar to 
Abbots Hill School or is that true of all girls schools? That- I think it's I think it is true of all girls schools. I, I went to a, a local primary um, a co-ed primary school myself in Nottingham to the age of 11. And then I, I moved to a to a girls independent school. And I know that I owe a great deal of my then, I suppose, success to that school and the way that it empowered me um, to understand that not it's not about that you can have it all because uh, you can't actually but to feel that you can strive for the things that matter to you and actually figure out what it is that matters to you and I do think that girls schools uh, make a particular point of enabling girls to do that without feeling like they're trying to prove something to boys or you know behave in a certain way because there are boys in the school and it's and it works the opposite way around as well I think boys in boys schools in their teenage years you know do better without the distraction of girls so it's a mutually beneficial thing Um, it's not that that girls somehow how can't cope in a co-ed environment. I'm I'm all for co-ed at certain points in education. Sixth form, I think, works particularly well as co-ed. And I, I think, you know, prep and primary schools, there is a lot to be said for a co-ed um, experience or co-ed opportunities, even within a single sex experience. But I do think in the teenage years, having that single-minded focus on the needs of girls and boys separately does bring tremendous benefits. Something else which I noticed on your website, uh, part of the, the description of the school that pupils are encouraged to exceed their potential which is a very bold statement what do you mean by that and and how do you go about achieving it in reality so I actually think that's a statement that I, I slightly need to take issue with, even though it's on my own school's website. But I mean this in a, a broader kind of educational context. The word potential is used a lot in education, and I do think we have, have to tread carefully around it. The fact is that we're ambitious, as I've said already, for all of our pupils to achieve the best that they can in all that they do. And we recognise both their engagement and, and their, their wider academic achievement and we do make use of various types of data and we carefully of course monitor our pupils and report their progress of course however you don't fatten a calf by weighing it and I think the more important thing is that we have superb staff who are teaching their subjects with skill and passion and their expertise combined with their great care for and knowledge of the girls is what will ensure that the girls at Abbots Hill surpass maybe even their own expectations I think the our our pupils tend to leave at year 11 with grades which if we told them what they would get when they entered in year seven or even earlier they would think gosh you know that's quite ambitious and we get them there so I I don't think I'm not sure you can actually grammatically speaking exceed your potential um, if you see what I mean but I think that it's about making sure that pupils actually exceed their expectations and again girls are quite prone to putting limits on what they think they can achieve and so I think our job in a girls school is actually to really enable them to realise and exceed their own expectations so I will return to that bit of the website um, post haste. <laughs> I, I think you explained it very well uh, to encourage to exceed their their personal expectations uh, mm. encapsulates it very yeah. very well. So apart from running the school in your absence what, what's it actually like to be a pupil <laughs> at the school? Uh, it's it's so much fun. I actually honestly haven't laughed so much anywhere else that I have worked. And I hope that's not an alarming <laughs> statement. Um, even in spite of everything this year, we have just had a great time. But it's serious laughter because behind it lies an enormous amount of hard work and dedication. But nobody takes themselves too seriously. In the ISI report, there's a line which actually just 
went right to the heart of what it's like to be an Abbots Hill pupil. And it was when they were described as authentic and not arrogant. And everybody just thought that that was absolutely spot on. Um, I've worked locally, as, as you've mentioned elsewhere, at the high school for 15 years. And over that time, I've taught many um, Abbots alumni and they have always been, um, because they joined us in the sixth form, they've always been uh, witty, modest and grounded individuals who are willing to get stuck into the sixth form and make their mark. My knowledge of the school led me to choose it for my daughters um, of Abbots Hill. And this gave me a valuable insight into the school as a parent. My daughters have certainly thrived there and they're now happy and confidently in year three and year seven. So let me take you back to something we were talking about earlier on, Catherine, and six weeks after you you joined, you'd had this very successful ISI inspection. Uh, and then what we saw, what we all saw coming became a reality, which was the requirement to close the school. Uh, what was that like for you to uh, to have to put the brakes on everything? Um, it was a very strange moment. And we we although we saw it coming and I, I had a sort of particular eye on on the far <coughs> excuse me I had a particular eye on the far east because as you might my my sister lives in New Zealand and my parents were due to transit back through Hong Kong just as as all of this was happening and uh, so we were concerned about them my husband had just been working in Hong Kong so you know I, I'd been talking to schools in Hong Kong and, and Bangkok and some other places and finding out what their experience was schools in Hong Kong had also had to close during the riots in November so they'd learned quite a lot at that time so even though we were concentrating so hard on what was happening, the reality of that moment when I had to gather the girls and the staff and say, I need you to go home is something that I will never forget. Um, and we applauded the year 11s out of school, knowing that we would in all likelihood not see them again. We made very hasty arrangements for a year six leavers party. And it was really tough. It was really, really strange and hard. But we coped absolutely brilliantly. And through through lockdown, we learned a huge amount. I think we've taken the opportunity to, to make improvements where we can. And we've developed areas that would otherwise have taken many years, I think, to, to, to change. We've been guided throughout by a great deal of pragmatism and by a shared determination to, to maintain our sense of community at all costs because I think that's what we were so aware was kind of walking down the driveway away from the school on that day was our community um, and yes of course the teaching yes of course you know all everything that goes with that but but actually it's your sense of self is what headed off down the driveway and, and that was quite stark. I think a lot of schools would recognize that feeling that something was lost when the the, the momentum of having all of the pupils together uh, was 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 broken but you coped over the pandemic of course Uh, you talked about the very good results that you had uh, for the for the girls Uh, so what changes did you have to implement to keep the children safe and and motivated and, and interested in learning during that difficult time so I think um, in terms of when it was locked down, we obviously turned our provision across the school to, to digital across curriculum, co-curriculum and pastoral programmes. And that was right the way from nursery through to year 11. Um, and we, we sort of labelled that provision, the Abbots Hill Connected programme, just, you know, playing on that idea of actually keeping people connected with each other. We're a Google school and we utilise that facility with ease in senior at prep level. 
and say we talked a lot to schools in Bangkok and Hong Kong to to find out how they had engaged their, the younger members of their community um, because, you know, we had children, well, as I say, right down to, to babies, which is obviously very hard to, to provide for, but, you know, from reception level upwards. And we had to find ways of making sure that they still felt engaged somehow in school. We, um, our head of pre-prep, Joe Wallace, um, was absolutely fantastic and, and led a completely new um uh, way of working with the children um, which she uh, devised and planned over these holidays um, using apps such as Seesaw in with the pre-prep and then we introduced Google at prep level but of course we were teaching the girls and the staff remotely how to use these these online platforms so the parents had to play their part you know in helping us to make sure that the girls knew what they were doing but I think the more important thing that we did and, and you talk about safety but certainly in lockdown in terms of their mental well-being um, we rewrote all of our timetables from scratch um, at prep and key stage three to ensure a school day that was better suited to remote learning so for example we placed short but deliberate gaps during the day where normally you know the learning lessons would have been continuous um, and we made the point that this was to get people away from screens spend time with their family if that was possible and simply to get outside every day start and ended with pastoral check-ins live pastoral check-ins um, and my house was certainly filled with laughter at the end of each day and you know they were doing treasure hunts around the house and all sorts of fancy dress things and all sorts of bonkers things were going on um, and then for our year 11s who as I've said leave after their GCSEs we created a sixth form bridging program called in- Inspired um, and sustained lectures and tutorials in all subjects and courses which the girls were going on to study um, we maintained uh, our past care is superb and we maintained that uh, we maintained access for example to our school counsellor um, you know to our pastoral team in in full and uh, you know made sure that we had regular regular check-ins with our more vulnerable pupils and I think we just you know we had we had quizzes we had um, Netflix parties you know we, all sorts of things were done to to keep the girls um, together charity endeavors um. so it's a very interesting point that you made there when we, we talk about the change which have happened in our schools over the the pandemic and the lockdown in particular, it's tempting to think of it as just dropping in a few computers and putting a few cameras in the classroom to take pictures. But what you've illustrated there is that Mm -hmm. you've had to redraw the curriculum from first principles. And this is something which in the world of academia, if I may say uh, so, would probably have taken close to a generation to, um, to to implement under normal circumstances. But you managed to do it in, in what, a few weeks, <laughs> yes. a, a month at most to get it going. Yes, a, a few weeks. Um, yes, it, it, it was it was an extraordinary effort. And uh, I think the way that the whole school team and, and that's, you know, support and teaching staff came together behind that, that kind of common goal, united behind that common goal, which was essentially to maintain the community, retain a sense of normality um, and to do so healthily, you know, was remarkable and humbling. And, and that was in the face of, and I'm really not genuinely not blaming anybody for this but the ever-changing guidance that we had to navigate I I wouldn't want to be in charge of any of the decision making going on at a national level at the moment so it's very easy to sit and take pot shots at that isn't it but you know the fact is it was ever-changing and uh, I I seem to I seem to trigger um, uh, 
well, Boris Johnson's announcements from time to time. If I wrote to parents and said, right, we're doing this, inevitably that day something <laughs> would be announced <laughs> that would mean that, that we weren't in fact doing that. So um, it became a running joke in the school that every time I made a decision, I had to un- unmake it. So, it, and that, you know, that was frustrating and that was tiring, but, uh, you know, but, but we got there and, uh, and the girls, the girls were just phenomenal throughout and, uh, and, and they just, they went with it. You know, <laughs> I think all, all of us get very, can get very worried about, about these things, but, uh, you know, they were fine. <laughs> they were really fine. So you did eventually get everyone back to school once, um, once, was it before the, the holidays? We, we we did we we again we're we're very lucky we 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 have a lot of space at school um and uh, and we were able therefore to interpret the government guidelines after the june half term so so we we were asked obviously to have year six back um and and that we did we uh needed to prioritize year 10 which and we we made some very particular decisions about how we brought year 10 back in and for what purposes um because they had been fortunate to while we adapted to the curriculum lower down with year 10 we didn't so they maintained their normal timetable and they kept all of their lessons going and most of them were live and that was really important for them to maintain you know that momentum in their GCSE course and so actually when we brought them back it was much more about checking in on them as a cohort um, and with their tutors and beginning to have conversations about about post-16 rather than being in a, a dreadful hurry to get them back in for lessons because we knew actually that their learning had been uninterrupted but so and then the other year groups we did manage to get every single year group back in at least for a few days um and and i know not all schools were lucky enough to be able to do that but it was so important to us particularly for the younger year groups and the boost it gave them before the summer holidays was was lovely to see and uh, it just also gave parents a moment's respite um you know before the summer holidays because you know while we've all been dealing with lots of things and many of my teaching staff and myself included are working parents we're, we're also very aware that at least at least we are teachers and many parents found themselves being teachers on top of um, everything else so it was important to try and do that. I suppose it was um, a a two-edged sword really by taking education into the home parents got a insight into how their children were learning and indeed what they were learning there must have been pros and cons to that. Definitely I um, believe strongly that an excellent education is the result of a, a, a coalition for want of a better word between parents and the school yes you know schools are in loco parentis but that absolutely doesn't absolve parents of their responsibilities and being very candid you know pupils don't magically transform simply because fees are paid there has to be hard work on both sides a lot of love and a lot of support and a lot of high expectations and I think all teachers were aware that everything they did and said um, in certain in our situation was likely being listened to you know by by parents by adults at home and as you can imagine having somebody eavesdropping on your working day all day um, that's quite a pressurized environment to work in day in day out and so I I think that was a a a pressure that that we had to manage and had to support our, our staff with that but there were many positive things gained in terms of transparency both ways um i think there was well in fact there definitely was a, a much greater directness about our communication um and we will again hold on to those covid wins you know the zoom parents evenings are here to stay for example i suspect and there's certainly a hugely increased respect for the ability teachers have to inspire and engage 25 year olds all day um you know i think the collective sigh of relief parents breathed out when they dropped their children off in september said it all 
it's a popular thing to say that that children are adaptable, but we've really got no idea of the long term impact of um, of the, the the lockdown on children's development in terms of their education or or their social development. Well, what were you able to see from your position as a head? Um, yeah, I think I, I think we're still learning. Actually, I, I don't think we've seen it all yet by any stretch of the imagination. Um, every day, you know, something will will you know surface, and and we just sort of you know pause and think, mm, you know, would would that have happened if if we'd been here? Certainly, I can see that people have been living their lives online even more. Um, inevitably, there are some consequences of that, and and individuals will cope differently with that. Uh, we were very fortunate to have Dr. Kathy Weston speak to parents recently in a webinar entitled Future Proof Your Daughter. And she spoke to our parents from year four to year 11. And uh, I think the importance of that right now was that we need to ensure that parents are as well as well equipped as our staff to support their own children. Um, parent education is a, is a significant part of what we offer as a school. And it's really easy to forget that many parents haven't had a teenager before. For some pupils, I think reintegrating into, into school in real life has been challenging uh, perhaps because they have family members who've been shielding or they are still feeling vulnerable themselves however in the vast majority of cases pupils are back they're fully engaged and they're loving their learning it's a joy to behold and I'm really really proud of the way that they've adapted as I've mentioned already academically we're in very good shape we are incredibly fortunate that we lost extraordinarily little if any curriculum time during lockdown that is far from the case in many schools and we're acutely aware um, of our good fortune but I think the ongoing, ongoing uncertainty takes its toll. And um, while I do feel like this half term and, and certainly, you know, on, on, uh, in, in education land and online and on social media, there's definitely a sense in, in a lot of arenas that teachers feel that this half term is the first time that they've kind of been able even a little bit to pause and take breath. But I think that there's a lot that this is still going to throw at us. I don't think we're anywhere near done with the challenges that, that we're going to be faced um, by, you know, through this winter, um, not least with, with exams and I think the ongoing uncertainty around that. So we certainly we certainly can't relax. And I think it's our job to keep keep the pupils going. Again, I keep coming back to that word normality, but just for them trying to maintain that sense of normality, keeping sort of relentlessly, obsessively optimistic, not naively so, but just, you know, maintaining a sense of forwards, um, I think it's really important for them. So putting the virus aside, uh, ed- the education system was changing anyway, uh, perhaps more slowly than the, the virus uh, uh, caused us to change. But education very slowly is becoming less about a factory to produce children who can recite facts and have knowledge instilled in them and more about teaching them the skills that they'll need for the workplace and indeed beyond the workplace, uh, whatever uh, they choose to do with their lives. What do you think are the the most important skills that young people need to learn now for their future? And and how does Abbots Hill go about preparing them uh, to get those skills? So I think it's um, it's slightly more subtle than um, 
than talking about just skills. I think to meet the challenges of um, their future, people very readily talk, don't they, about, you know, the challenges of the 21st century. Well, we're already a fair way into that. So I think we just need to talk in broader terms about the future. Um, Young people need to be empowered and feel that they can aspire to help to shape a world where well-being and sustainability for themselves, for others and for the planet is achievable. And I really do think for our young people, that latter point particularly matters hugely. Um, So we need, rather than skills, I think, a matrix of of competencies. I'm not just trading words for words here, but it's knowledge, attributes, values and skills, um, which together enable people to really reflect on their own and others' needs um, to anticipate and plan and take action. Because I think we, you know, we want pupils, and when I say we here, I'm actually talking generally about, I think adults want young people to enter the world as confident, active citizens. And that that word is right at the heart of our new um, mission vision for Abbots Hill. It's really important to me that they leave school, uh, you know, with a really strong moral compass, and that, that they can navigate the world around them, which is going to shift and change. And we know that the people who can do that are the ones who uh, are happy, they're secure, and they're supported at home and at school so um, at Abbots Hill for example our tutors travel with the girls up the school from year eight onwards so they really get to know them as individuals um, to be able to draw out their values their motivations and to help them to match their plan to their true selves we also have a clan system which is a house system by another word all pupils are in one of four clans and these are really like families within the school our clan prefects in year six and year 11 model the skills and attributes that younger people look up to um, and the class teachers in prep and the tutors in senior and the heads of year are real really central characters in the pupil's life and they get to know each girl as an individual they understand her they challenge her they celebrate her and so I think against that that kind of structure, that background, people's build self-belief and confidence. Uh, we have a, a really good thinking skills programme. We have an excellent PSAGE programme. Um, we have a growing and extensive co-curricular programme and then mental health and wellbeing initiatives such as um, B. And all of these things help the people to understand their own and others' physical, emotional, mental health needs, which are really essential. Therein lie the skills that are essential, I think, for a happy and successful adulthood. And those skills aren't necessarily innate, but they can certainly be learned. Um, it takes time, it takes excellent modelling of behaviours, and it takes a deep and school-wide commitment to pastoral care and character education. We have a really good careers programme, as I've mentioned, run by uh, our head of careers, Liz Cross. And that really draws together, sits at the heart of the school, as all good careers programmes should. And it really draws together key strands of that pastoral and academic programme. You might be biased to the answer to this next question, but with what you've just said about the the role of a a school and the the changing requirements of education, do do you think independent schools are better positioned than state schools to deliver that? Uh, no, I, I don't actually. I just think that we have different uh, opportunities. Um, and I think that we need to learn across the two sectors um, of independent and state schools. We, we need to work together and learn together. I, I think there are some opportunities that we have, smaller class sizes, for example, that aren't available necessarily in the state sector. But 
equally there are opportunities that um, uh, that state schools have to, to reach out across different kinds of organisations that maybe independent schools don't so commonly get access to. So I actually think it's more about forging really meaningful partnership work and partnership means it's mutually beneficial. That's different from outreach work that we might do where we might be saying, look, we've got this fantastic theatre. Um, let's offer that to local primary schools for, to run a, a really compelling Saturday drama club, for example. You, you know, there's there's a difference, I think, in, in and they get a bit mashed together those two concepts of partnership and outreach mm-hmm. so I, I think we we do have resources and facilities available to us which um, a local primary school might not have we, we're able to to sustain teaching in the creative arts you know right from nursery and unfortunately due to government cuts um, so often that has been um, really hit badly in in state primary schools certainly so we do have programs where we're offering facilities and staff time in that arena but then higher up the school and certainly around teacher training and development, we could learn huge amounts from colleagues in the state sector in all sorts of different ways. So I, I just don't think there's an easy answer to that question. It's not as simple as, yes, we can do it better or or or, or that. It's it, it, We have to work together to understand our, our mutual needs and our mutually agreeable you know, opportunities, I think. You mentioned a, a, a few times during the discussion which we've had about the uh, education in the, the Far East. Mm. Uh, you'd reached out to some schools there. Uh, you mentioned to me beforehand that uh, you had previously taught in Japan during yes. the early parts of your careers. Was that an interesting experience? It was amazing. Um, it absolutely was incredible. I, I went straight after uh, university. I was sort of supposed to be <laughs> supposed to be going to law school, actually. And uh, I, I just had a sort of last minute, mm, is that really what I want to do? And, uh, and then I saw this opportunity to go and teach and work in Japan. And teaching had always been there. My work experience when I was at school was in schools, um, you know, and I'd always sort of thought, yes, I I would really like to teach but what I wanted to do was make a difference and at the time I thought I would do that um, by going into the law and maybe working in in the arena of international um, development and it just seemed to be narrowing myself a little bit to go straight on to law school so I decided to travel um, and to go and teach in Japan and and it it, you know it's a cliche isn't it but it was a bit of a life-defining moment really um when I was there, so so I worked in, in a really rural part of Japan. And even when I speak to Japanese people, they don't know where I was. <laughs> so it was a very <laughs> rural part of Japan. It was on, on the mainland and it wasn't very far from Tokyo in distance, but it, it really wasn't anything like I think what people think of when they think of Japan. Um, I, t- I worked across 15 schools in the town. I was the first foreign female uh, to ever set foot in that town so I was a, an object of incredible curiosity um, what's interesting about the Japanese education system is that in in Japan teachers actually don't choose where they work um, every few years they're sort of picked up and relocated to another school and after they've been working there for some time they do sort of settle in a broad area but they are still moved around within that they also don't exactly choose to apply for promotions and new roles and and this was one of my key learnings really I think that instead everybody works to the same end in an incredibly unified way because actually you don't know where you're going to be next year which might sound like it would be destabilizing but in fact it makes people really focus on the moment and work really hard for the betterment of the pupils in front of them at that moment in time Um, and I'm, I'm not saying that that Japan 
gets it right necessarily. The work culture is pretty brutal, but there's something there about shared goals and shared values that I think is important and that I took away. The other thing, um, the other aspect of their system I carried home was the intense focus on what is known as lesson study. Uh, teachers plan lessons together in Japan far more than in the UK. That's quite common in, in other um, Far Eastern education systems as well. They spend hours doing that because they have lower teaching loads. Um, and the lessons are, I have to say, really beautifully formed. They then watch each other deliver those lessons and they spend many hours, often in large regional groups of teachers doing that. They share those observations, they're discussed and tweaks are made. So there is flexibility in the model, but the focus is on making sure that the methods enable the pupils to learn in the best possible way. Their curriculum isn't as broad as ours, but it is deep. And the emphasis is on mastery, something which builds confidence and the expectations for all pupils are really, really high. So I, I can definitely hear, even as I say, that echoes of, of what I saw there and what I took from it um, in, in you know, the things that I think are going to matter to me at Abbott's. Do you try and uh, use some of that experience in, in your teaching? Well, I suppose you, you don't teach directly anymore now, but in in your role as an educator? Uh, yes, I, I, I hope I do. I believe that I do. And um, I think that for... For me, at Abbots Hill, I I want to kind of carry I carry that experience, yes, and and you know the experience of the various different schools I've taught in, um, you know, from teaching in the East End of London to up in in Yorkshire and and latterly at the high school that I've taught in very different settings and held very different roles in those different settings, and and you do have to you know glean, don't you, what what you kind of think are, are the, the, the what seem disparate strands you realise start to coalesce, I think, when you become a head and you think, right, you know, this is what I believe in and this is what matters. And I think for me, being a head is about, first and foremost, being a role model for everybody who works and, and learns in, in the school. You have to live the values that you espouse. I want people to know about the school. It's such a glorious hidden secret um, and one that we very much want to share. I see myself as, as sort of storyteller-in-chief. That's a phrase that I've stolen from a, a now-retired head, <laughs> but I just I love it. And we have a really great story to tell um, at Abbots Hill. At the end of the day, parents in a fee-paying school invest a lot of money and faith in in me and my job is to ensure that we deliver an outstanding experience and offer value for money so we have to offer really superb working and learning environments we have to have a shared vision that we're all engaged and committed to um, I think I mentioned earlier we've rewritten the mission vision and values of Abbots Hill over the last few months even through lockdown and we're very close to signing off with our governor's our 10-year strategic vision which we'll then make public but of the of the kind of my experiences so far I think the things that are really really important to me as I join Abbott's is to invest in the staff, their professional development, their working environment. I want them to know how valued they are. Without them, the school is nothing. And then in turn, I, I really want to empower and enable them to do the very best for the girls in our care. Abbott's was founded, I don't know if you know anything about the history of the school, but by the Baird sisters to educate women of character, so goes the saying. Um, and I think that speaks of a particular kind of social mission. And I do think this is what will emerge from 2020, which is a really real re-emphasis or a, a, an absolute crystallising of this need that gets spoken about but not quite yet enacted generally to create schools and colleges that recognise the importance of head, hand and heart. Um, there are schools who are explicitly doing that. 
and and I do think that Abbott's fits into that sort of category of schools to ensure that our, our curriculum is representative in, in every sense of that word and that it contains space for people helping people and people making things. You know, it's more than the academic. Um, we've done some restructuring of the school leadership teams. We've made two new senior appointments of a, an assistant head professional development and we're about to appoint an assistant head co-curricular and outreach. And I think both signal the future trajectory of the school, which is about confidence, excellence and openness. So we've, this is your, as we said in the introduction, this is your, your first head role. You've been there 11 months. Mm. Aside from the, you know what, <laughs> what has been the most surprising aspect of being the head and, and what's been the most rewarding? Uh, so there, uh, I think the thing that amuses me in a way um, is that you find yourself appointed. It's a pretty grueling process to get appointed as a head. Uh, you attend, uh, you know, you then have to keep it quiet for ages until it's announced. Then you sort of sent, um, it's certainly in the Girls' School Association, which Abbott's is a member of, you're sent on a three-day induction course, which covers, you know, everything at breakneck speed from financial planning to media training. And then you're off, um, you know, and you do sort of sit down at that desk on the first day and think, oh, crikey. Um, so, you know, I'm not somebody who would ever claim to know everything. And, and I think that's really important. I know that I have a really expert experience team around me and I know I can rely on them at all times. And this year has shown that in spades. I do think you have to have the confidence to trust your gut, though. I've been around schools long enough to know what is likely to work. Um, and, and you know, as I say, to, to really place a, a lot of trust in a really strong senior team. And I have a very experienced governing board. Body, um, and we have a very open and discursive relationship, which is invaluable. I think the rewarding, so, so in terms of surprise, I, I, just, I think it's the, the faith actually that everybody places in you, which is at equal measure, very empowering and utterly terrifying. <laughs> and, uh, so, and then I think in terms of rewards, I think it's the opportunity to get to know a community, building those relationships, the parents, the staff, the pupils, and, and really understanding and trying to bring to the surface the values that underpin it and then and its culture. And really working collaboratively to realise that potential that I find so, so rewarding. Finally, Catherine, I had a question that I was going to ask you, um, and it even bored me to ask the question. So I've turned it around a little bit. I was going to ask you, what kind of a head do you think you are? But I'm going to ask it in a slightly different way. What kind of a head do you think your pupils mm. would say you were? Um, so I, I think, um, I, I think partly. Um, uh, this this year, uh, frustratingly, because of lockdown, etc., I haven't been able to. Um, uh, you know, get to spend as much time with the pupils face to face in real life as, as I would I would like to. And I've definitely noticed, actually, one of the things about being ahead is that um, it's a bit like uh, being an iceberg. You know, there's a huge amount of it that's below the surface and uh, and, and isn't seen. But having said that, um, I have tried to make well before lockdown. Um, I was meeting uh, the girls uh, both through an open door at lunchtime in assemblies, of course, and they've they've been sustained um, albeit remotely now I meet with year 11s every Monday morning um, I'll start meeting with year 10 soon I've met with year 6s so you know so I'm, I'm trying to to make sure that where I can I I get to uh, I get to meet the girls and 
so when I was interviewed for the role, um, part of the process was a was a pupil panel, um, which I have to say was probably the most the most grueling part of it. Um, and uh, and I asked them what they were looking for in a head, and they very very firmly said that they were looking for somebody who who would listen to them, who would champion the causes that matter to them, not only in the school but um, more widely in society, and a feminist. And they were absolutely, you know, um, off you know quickly off the mark with uh, with all of those things. And I, I hope that what they uh, see in me is somebody who is is authentic. Um, that I mean what I say and I say what I do, and that they can see somebody who is passionate about education and uh, in the broadest sense, and and passionate about creating a superb experience for them, and that I am somebody who who does listen to them. Doesn't not to say that I necessarily will always do what they want. That's different, you know. But somebody who does hold their their needs and the things that matter to them very close to my heart, and do uh, you know act in in their best interests at all times. And I come back to you know that element of the ISI inspection that that we loved about the girls, where it talked about them being you know authentic without arrogance. I hope authenticity is the key value that I model in everything I do. I am approachable. I don't take myself too seriously, and uh, and and I you know hope that that we can have a great deal of fun together over the coming years. Catherine, thank you so much for joining us here on the Parent Show this evening here on Radio Verulam on ninety two point six FM. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you and hearing all of the interesting facts and plans that you have for the Abbots Hill School. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Dee. Thank you very much for having me.